0: To have you here, and uh, and 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 have you on the podcast, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, we've met and worked a little bit on different programs that we've done for missionary work and in, in the service mission program, um, but we've never kind of discussed or talked about life or anything like like we are today. So I'm excited um, and and grateful to have you take some time with me. So thank you.
1: Sure, happy to help. Great to be here with you.
0: Yes, no. I'm, ex- I'm excited, and I think uh, I'm excited to hear some of your stories and 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 uh, hear a, bit, a little bit about your life. So, first things first. Oh, my seat just fell a little bit. One of the things you talked about are the foundations of truth uh, for young people, and uh, on this podcast, I really like to focus about uh, focus it around young adults and and helping them find their path and their purpose. Um, that seems to be a lot of what I've discussed on the podcast. And so I'm really curious to hear about that, probably first and foremost, um, is what are those foundations of truth and, and what should young people be focusing on as they start and build um, this next chapter of their life and as they're trying to figure it out?
1: Okay. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I did some study. I took the word truth
0: um, not long ago,
1: maybe, you know, I don't know, a month or six weeks ago and uh, tried to determine you know, what is truth and why is it so important? And I've really come to more fully understand that uh, there are eternal truths. Um, they're not relative truths. There are eternal truths. And as we find what they are and as we live by them, our lives are happier. It's, it's almost like, you know, there's a path. And if you are on the path of truth, um, you know, life isn't like it's going to be really easy. But you can, you know, but there's certain consequences when we deter from that path of truth. Um, And, uh, you know, the gospel and Jesus Christ is, uh, and, you know, it basically says, and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And I really believe that. I believe that the more truth we know and understand, the freer we become. And while some young people may say, well, wait a minute, you know, there's all these commandments and there's all these covenants and there's, you know, there's these seemingly, you know, Boxes that were put in um, in the gospel in the church. Uh, my point is, that you have the the smartest human being in the entire universe, who is God the Father, and His Son Jesus Christ emulates Him. They are they are the you know they 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 are embodiment of truth, and He basically has said to us, you know, sons and daughters, if you want to be happy. Here are some things you should do. So, you know, many of us would, I was in the, I was in a business where people um, invested in stocks and bonds and various things. And there's a, a very well-known investor by the name of Warren Buffett and Warren Buffett over the life, over his lifetime has probably been one of the best investors. Now there have been other people that made more money um, through starting companies, coming up with ideas. Elon Musk is an example Um, but uh, Warren Buffett has made more money by investing, in other words, taking um, stocks, common stocks, and investing in them probably than any other human being in my lifetime. Um, John D. Rockefeller was richer, but again, he started a company to become rich. And people will pay enormous sums of money to have lunch with Warren Buffett. They'll pay... Ten thousand fifty, you know, the off offer lunch with Warren Buffett, and they think oh, that'd be wonderful to sit down to the sage. They call him the sage of Omaha, and just have lunch with him and just pick his brain. And here we have yeah. a person who's even smarter, brighter by multiples. That's God the Father and His Son Jesus Christ, and they're willing to listen to us anytime. Mm. And they basically said, "Okay, here's truth." And here is how you can be happy by um, here's here's some first of all commandments in, in in the Old Testament. We're given 10 commandments. And then the Savior came, gave us a higher law. And then we go to the temple and we receive additional covenants and make covenants that make us even happier. Because, again, they are ways in which we are happy. Um, maybe an example. You know, one of the 10 commandments is thou shalt not steal. Did I lose you here? There we go. Um, and essentially, no, I'm still here. Okay. And essentially God is saying, if you steal, you're not going to be happy. Now you may get ahead in the short run, but you are not going to be a, cause you're, you are deviating off that path of truth. He says, honor your father, and your mother. He says, you know, don't commit adultery. And then, you know, in the temple, we take up on our ourselves, covenants of, of sacrifice and obedience, law of the gospel. Um, the law of uh, of chastity and consecration. So, those things, in a way, may feel like they're they're making us less free, but in fact, they are making us more free. So, I think this issue of truth um, emanates from the Savior Jesus Christ, and if we can uh, find you know what He's trying to tell us and listen to it, and we're going to you know we're going to fall off the path from time to time, and He's provided a way for us to get back on called repentance. Uh, we will just be happier individuals. And so this search for truth is something that man has been trying to find for eternities. And, you know, it's right before us as members of the church. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. contained in the scriptures as we read the scriptures and as we ponder them and as we pray about them. Uh, we can find the truth in our prayers as we as we kneel before our father in the mornings and evenings and during the day and say, you know, help me with uh, these decisions I'm making, small decisions, large decisions. Who shall I marry? You know, Where should I go to school? He's willing to help us with all of those decisions. We have to listen. <laughs> and sometimes we feel like he's not listening. But um, most of the time, he, well, let me say this. I think he listens all the time. It's just that sometimes he doesn't answer as quick as we want him to answer. But he does answer us. Um, and so this, this process of finding truth, I think uh, uh, we find it in the temple. We find it by listening to conference. We find it. Um, and, and I know those, those ways, you know, to many sound trite. Okay, well, those are those Sunday school rules, you know, you know read the scriptures and pray and, and listen to the prophets. Well, you know what? It's not that hard. You know, uh, you know, we don't have to you know, we don't have to go to India and find some uh, guru there. Uh, We have it right in our own in our own studies, in our lives, in our scriptures, etc. So this aspect of truth is really important. And uh, again, I think as we stay on the path of truth, our lives are fuller and richer. We're happier as we fall off that path and deviate our lives become more complicated and we, and we don't have the same joy that we otherwise would have. So I know it's a Sunday school answer or to find truth that father in heaven doesn't make it hard. I mean, he makes it fairly simple. You know, the gospel is not, it's not some mystery, some deep, dark mystery. It's right before our eyes. And sometimes we make it too hard. So, yeah. you know, hopefully that answers you know part of your question.
0: Thank you. No, I, I think that's great. And I, you know, I don't think we think about it much. We, we do see, kind of see Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as this kind of reach out to them as needed rather than realizing the immense power and knowledge and, and guidance they can give us in our lives. Um, so I, I, I love how you equate it to, you know, um, um, to, you know, some of these people in, in business and, and, and life that we look up to and, and we need to be looking at Heavenly Father on that Uh, If not, or not even that same level, but higher than that.
1: So, you know, right. And so we don't find, we don't find truth. I mean, there is some truth on the internet and there's some truth in Facebook and and, and all these social media platforms. There is some truth there, but it can also be a lot of deceit as well, because we know Satan wants to deceive us. He wants to confuse us. And so, if we feel confused, sometimes we're listening to the wrong sources. So, I think we have to go to the true source of truth, and that's the Savior Jesus Christ. He is; he will never lead us astray. Other things, mm-hmm. if we put our trust in other things, they can lead us astray. So, yeah, just you know, keep it. I like to think about think about it this way: if you are um, one of my favorite chapters in the Book of Mormon's First Nephi chapter eight, that that's a story about Lehi's vision of the tree of life. And again, it, it shows very distinctly, okay, there's this iron rod that, you know, there's, there's four groups of people, essentially, you know, there's one group of people that grab a hold of the rod and they get, they get in this mist of darkness and there's, and there's temptations and they, they let, they let go and they lose their way. The second group of people, you know, they make it through the mist of darkness. They make it to the tree of life. But they then look over at this great and spacious building and there's people making fun of them. They're mocking them. You know, why are you believing that sort of thing? They they let go. They, they, They stop looking at the tree. They start looking at the wrong thing. And again, they're lost. The third group of people grab a hold of the iron rod, make it to the tree. And the difference is that group of people never takes their eyes off the tree. The tree represents the Savior Jesus Christ and his atonement. God's gift to us. So they never take their eyes off the tree, and they don't get misled. The fourth group of people, they just kind of they they never even find the path. You know, they're they're wandering around into the in into the the stream, and the, they go to the over to the building, etc. So I think that's a really good analogy. I like to think of just keep focused on the Savior, and he you know it's not gonna, you're not going to be led astray. Now there's going to be mists of darkness, there's going to be temptations, and there's all those things, but the iron rod is really prayer. It's you know modern day. It's modern day prophets. It's um, it's the scriptures that we read. Uh, it's you know going to church and listening to our leader. So uh, you know there's a lot of ways we can get that iron rod, um, and that's the word
0: of God. So anyway, yeah.
1: Enough. No, enough I, probably on that.
0: I, <laughs> no, I think it's great, and I don't think I don't think we hear that enough. Um, I mean, we do hear from it from church leaders, but. I, I think it's easily forgotten how important those simple principles are. Um, one question I do have, because I think especially young adults where they're still trying to get the hang, I guess at any age, age, we're all trying to get better at communicating with our heavenly father and Jesus Christ and, and discerning the spirit. But when we are asking questions and, and you, like you talked about, maybe it's not the right time or we're not getting the answers we want at the speed we want what's some advice and, and maybe you can pull from, you know, experiences you've had, what, what can you do to to push through that discouragement when you're not feeling like you're getting those answers mm-hmm. and still continue to go back down on your knees and continue down that path?
1: Yeah. Um, I think recognizing that the answer is there. Um, God may choose at this point, not to answer. He may choose to answer later, Um But I think always having a relationship that knowing he is there. In other words, I may not be getting an answer to this specific problem I'm having, but I do feel the spirit when I'm doing things that bring me closer to the Savior. When I am attending church, when I am living a righteous life, when I am saying my prayers, when I'm in the scriptures, when I'm... In other words, uh, as long as I have that relationship with my Father in heaven... Um, how many times have you said to your parents, you know, I'd like that new car. Give me a new car. You know, I'd like that new, or whatever it was you were pestering them for. And they just felt like now you're 14 years old. You, you shouldn't have a car what? or, or whatever the reason. Well, you still knew they loved you. You still had a relationship with them. Maybe that one answer you're not getting, it shouldn't determine your relationship with your father in heaven uh, because there's so much else involved with that. And I think you just have to take the view that if you're not getting the answer you want, maybe you're asking for something you shouldn't ask for, or if it's a righteous question, um, you know, the the answer will come, but it will be a little bit later. Um, So I think keep the relationship with your Father in heaven, keep doing the things you should be doing, and don't base your entire relationship on him of, of having, putting yourself in a position like, Father in heaven, answer me right now, or you know, I don't believe in you anymore. I mean, that's crazy, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say to your father your earthly father and mother, well, either give me this car or I'm not going to, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think you love me anymore. Well, they may love you a lot. And that's why they're not doing it, uh, as an example. Right. So I think keeping the relationship alive by doing the things you should be doing, it will come, you know, elder Scott, I think gave a great talk, um, on the supernal, uh, I think it was in 2007 or so, uh, and it was a talk about prayer. You could look it up, Elder Scott prayer. And uh, he talked about, uh, you know, God sometimes says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he just says wait. And I think you just have to understand that the waiting part is probably good. You know, if if we received everything we asked for immediately when we ask for that um, you know, what kind of life would that be? you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be growing in faith, we wouldn't be growing in knowledge, we wouldn't be growing in our skills, um, you know, help this sickness pass immediately, um, you know, sometimes we have to go through things and take some while to become closer to Father in Heaven because of the, of the pain we're going through, maybe through no fault of ours, you know, through, you know, some illness or a death in the family or an accident or, or any one of a number of things, you know, God's not going to heal us immediately, he's going to, you know, that's, that's just not the way he's done it scripturally, historically. And I don't think, you know, he just, he knows the right time. And I think just recognize there's a time that I'll, I'll understand this better. It may be tomorrow, maybe next month. It may be 10 years from now, but it will come.
0: Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a perfect way to look at it because the time, time does play such a factor. I do sometimes, I was thinking while, while you're talking about that, I, I was thinking about some of those prophets in the scriptures who, you know, the Lord told them, you know, whatever you ask for, I'll, I'll answer that. And I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make that come to pass. And what wisdom, you know, I just think to myself, I'm like, man, they must have, you know, he he gave them that because he knew they wouldn't ever ask for anything that he couldn't, you know, w- wouldn't be wise to act upon. Right. And uh right. They, the connection they must have had with Heavenly Father to have that be... <laughs> something that they could do is uh, must be really must have been really strong so that was just what came to mind but that's i do think time plays such a key key role and in, in knowing to ask and and if it's not then moving moving forward with confidence something will come down the, down the road
1: well think well, think about you know just go back in history and look at some of the profits and the, and the things that they went through you know, here's Moses out in the desert for 40 years before they come to the promised land. And he never even makes it into the promised land. Look at the prophet Joseph Smith and everything that he went through in his life. And he's in Liberty Jail and he's separated from his family. And he's in this terrible situation where it's cold. And, and he, you know, he's saying, you know, have you forgotten about me? Well, you know, in, in, a, in the 122nd section of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord says, all these things are for your good. Interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. all these things you've gone through, Joseph, and he went through a lot more than we've ever gone through. You know, uh, you know, he had, he had, I think he had four children die within a very short period of time. You know, he, there were some adopted kids that he had, and there's others, but I think he, had, in, a, in a very short period of time, he had a number of children die. You know, Emma, and they were living, they didn't have their own home for a long, a long time. He went through tremendous uh, turmoil and pain and, you know, and, and here, here he is in Liberty Jail. The, the saints are being scattered. And he's saying, you know, Father in heaven, where are you? 121st section is in the doctrine of government. And then the 122nd section, Father in heaven says to him, all these things are for your good. So I think we have to realize things we're going through are for our good. And we shouldn't expect immediate answer. We'd like them. That's our nature. But, uh, you know,
0: it's not always good for us. No oh it's, that's a great great point uh, that's an excellent they've they've gone through so much and, and it was for their good even though sometimes we don't see that um so when when I was reading kind of the questionnaire you filled out you mentioned that you had a background in finances and and in that kind of the business world I'd love to hear how um, you know some of these truths that you're talking about how that's helped you in 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 your professional life because I think sometimes it's easy to accept it in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we, we, we can't cut the Lord out of different parts of our lives. So I'd like to hear how, you know, those truths have played um, in your professional life and less. Sure. Know.
1: Um, I think first of all, um, I, I, I was, I, I, worked on wall street. I worked for a very good firm on wall street. Um, and, uh, when I was hired, um, I I never you know I at the time I was hired you know this was in the in the 1970s smoking was very prevalent you know you'd go to the office it'd be filled with smoke Uh, you'd get on an airplane it'd be filled with smoke so smoking and drinking was a very common practice amongst people in general and among a lot of my colleagues as well and so here I come you know from you know Brigham Young University I don't smoke I don't drink. Uh, But I never found it a detriment at all Uh, when other people were drinking and I'd have my um, sparkling water or a Diet Coke or something. You know, I never felt uh, pressure to drink. And I think they respected that. Um, Maybe a little story about uh, a job interview I had would be helpful, too. So uh, to get the job at Goldman Sachs, I was interviewed at BYU and. Passed that interview, so I went to San Francisco. I probably interviewed ten or eleven people that day. A lot of, you know, half an hour, six or seven people, asking a lot of questions, pressure interviews. What about this? What about this? So um, that those interviews went well, and the next round of interviews was in St. Louis, where you know I was going to be hired if I passed the interview. So I spent the day in St. Louis, interviewed another six or seven or eight people, half an hour interviews. My last interview was with the office manager. And so he asked me a question sort of out of the blue uh, in the middle of the interview. And you, you, know, you could not do that today, but he did it then. He says, do you tithe? Do you tithe? And I, I thought, you mean, do I pay a full tithing? And he goes, yes. Well, he was a good Christian and he knew about tithing in the Old Testament. Well, what had happened is uh, there, was a, there was a guy in our office who was a good member of the church And so when he knew I was coming from BYU, he said to this guy that he worked with, he says, so tell me about Mormons and tell me about what I should ask him. And he says, so this later to be friend of mine said, well, you don't want to hire a Jack Mormon. You want to hire, if you're going to hire a Mormon, hire somebody who's living their religion. And he felt that by asking me if I tithed, that would separate out whether I was a good, you know, Jack Mormon or not. So that one question sort of, you know, and I I look back on it and say, my future career at Goldman Sachs hinged on that answer to that one question, didn't it? If I'd have said, well, you know, I'm not a practicing Mormon. Uh, It's, you know, my, I grew up in it, but I I don't practice it. I think he would have said, see you later, you know, in a nice way. I think he was looking for someone who not only professed something, but lived that, Religion. So I then went on to New York. I had another round of interviews and got the job and and worked there for 30 years. And it was a really great place to work. I really enjoyed uh, what I did. But looking back on that experience, I recognize, again, having lived the gospel and being a practicing member of the church made all the difference to that individual and to me. And I just I never found that it was a detriment at all. In other words, you know, when others would go to parties and drink and I was told, you know, sober, I could keep my head. I didn't say stupid things. I didn't get out of line. You know, there are just so many ways that people get in trouble, you know, when they're on when they when they drink alcohol, they're on drugs, etc. Um, so, I, you know, never picked up for a DUI, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so consequently, one other story is kind of interesting. So a little later in my career, we're now interviewing people. And we we see some really good candidates. We see you know, kids from Stanford and Harvard and and Cal. And this one individual came through from Cal, and uh, really had a great looking resume, talk of his class, mathematics, etc. Very very talkative, um, very social. In other words, he's somebody that would have you know done very well. So what, this was now in an era where you could look up people on Facebook and a few things. And so one of my colleagues looked him up. And there was a bunch of pornography and it was like, okay, we're done with this guy. And uh, in other words, this wasn't even a member of the church. It was like, how could somebody be so stupid as to have this on? You know, in other words, if they're using that poor judgment, you know, we're not going to hire him. So again, you know, one of these truths that father in heaven has given us about being morally clean is not just good advice. I mean, it's, it's a truth that keeps you from, you know, it just gives you more joy and happiness. So uh, those are just a couple of examples from uh, my career, but it went over and over again about how people, you know, would have more trust because they knew I was a member of the church. Uh, I was, uh, I had uh, opportunities to do things that uh, other people didn't because of, because of that background, I could be, I could be trusted. So I never found it to be, I found it to always be positive.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's great. And I think, we, especially as a young adult, you know, we don't sometimes, we don't always think about the, um, the consequences of our choices, right? It's easy to, right. it's easy to forget about, forget that those choices have consequences. And, uh, but the gospel, if we're living it, really does help protect us from those severely bad consequences that could, you know, really deter Excellent. our path. Yeah. Um, no, listen, there are there are worse yeah. things
1: in life than dying. OK, there's worse things than that. You know, there's there, you know, if you, you if you die spiritually, that is worse than dying physically. You know, if, if, and I don't want to I don't want to diminish losing people prematurely. But, you know, if, if you're living the gospel and you die, you're better off. You know, your family is sad and, and unhappy, but you are better off. Whereas if you are dying spiritually, you know, you're having a tough life. You know, you're, you're making poor choices. um, Things aren't going well for you, et cetera. So, um, you know, bad things can happen to us even when we're living the gospel. I understand that. But, uh, you know, at least it's not because of the choices I'm making. It's easy enough. It's easy enough. It's hard enough in this life.
0: Yes, no, it definitely. And, and, and there's no point in making it harder <laughs> with the bad right. choices. That's exactly right. Um, that's right. Yeah. So what would be a piece of advice, um, to young adults trying to find their path since we've kind of been on, on, on this theme and talking about that. I, I think a lot of times, um, and obviously kind of conferring with the Lord is, is, is a big part of that. Um, but sometimes, you know, I know, people say sometimes the Lord wants us to make a choice and he'll guide us from there. Um, and, and, and he wants to, you know, have us make decisions and, and, and guide the path. So how, how can young adults, yeah. How can young adults find their path when I think that's a common thing is, is how do we, how do we know what we should do and what we should pursue and, 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 and where to start?
1: Um, You know, I think one thing as members of the church, we don't do enough of young people. And that is um, to, you know, to to network within the church. In other words, you go to a ward and there are people in that ward that have accomplished a lot of, I mean, there's doctors, lawyers, there's there's businessmen. There are, you know, there are people that are uh, very technically capable in any kind of trade and we're not picking their brains enough. So if I'm Matt and I think, okay, so, you know, what should I do in life? Well, I think that you start, uh, you know, maybe you take some guys out for lunch. You know, I, I think I, I think older people are more than willing to sit down with you and say, well, you know, what are the things you enjoy doing? Um, and um, you know, here's and and so you find out what well, what do you do. Tell me about what you do for every day. Oh, you're a dentist. Okay, well, tell me about. Why you became a dentist? How did you become a dentist? Why do you like being a dentist? What don't you like about being a dentist? Um, I, I was able to do that when I was when I was going to school, you know, because you have time to take some generalized classes in college. And I had a brother, I had two brothers who were dentists, and I was thinking, well, that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, they have they, they have nice cars, they have swimming pools, they have boats. They you know they they work four days a week. They take off water skiing on Friday and Saturday. They have Sunday to go to church. And so I'm, I'm asking them, and I go, I go to the office with them, and I follow them around. Um, and so, I, in other words, people are willing to do that for you. They're willing to let you shadow them a little bit, you know. Uh, and so after doing it for a while, I thought, you know what? I don't think I want to be a dentist because it looks to me like my personality, I would get bored doing that same thing every day. And so I thought, okay, I want to be a lawyer because you know, that sounded great. So I went and talked to some people who are practicing attorneys Well, you know, what do you do every day? And, and, and why is it you like this and what are some things that you like doing? What are your hobbies? And I realized that, you know what? um, All these people that are lawyers aren't very much like me. In other words, they really like to, to write. They were very good at, you know, I love going to the library. I mean, they, they would say, I love going to the library writing term papers If given a choice at the end of the semester, if you hand in a term paper or you get up in front of the class and just make a presentation, what would you rather do? Well, that tells a lot about yourself. And so a lot of the lawyers were like, oh, I'd I'd like to just write it down. It's like, that's not me. I mean, I don't want to sit and write this long paper. I'd rather get up in front of the class, have some slides and do some things and talk about what I've learned. So, again, you're, you're trying to find out, you know, these personalities that are like you. And so you find somebody that's like, okay, this, you know, I like this person. I like what they, I like their hobbies. I like, you know, learn, I learned about what they do. And it's maybe, well, you know, if I like them, maybe I would like doing what they do as well. So I think there's some work that young people can do to, to sort out what successful people have done and yeah. kind of match up personalities. And, and, and in the church, you have this whole congregation, wards and stakes, leaders that you could say to them, hey, I mean, I, I've kind of admired, you know, what do you do for a living? And and why do you like it? And would you do it again? And would you recommend your son or daughter to do this? And, and so you may find that a person that you gravitate towards is actually teaching high school. You know, maybe they're a coach in high school. And it's like, you know, I've, I've always enjoyed sports. That might be something I'd really enjoy. And so you go... See what they do. Anyway, I, I just think as as young people in the church, you don't do enough of the networking. If you were a good a good little Jewish boy in New York, you would be networking like crazy with all these people that have these different jobs. I think you have the same opportunities. Um, you know, your parents' friends, your stake leaders, your bishop, your people you work with in, in the in the mission office, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's there's probably thirty people you could have lunch with that do yeah. multitude of different things, you know, anywhere from policemen, lawyers, doctors, um, et cetera, et cetera. So just, I think that's, that would certainly be a suggestion I would give you.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's really wise. And I think, and I don't know exactly why this is, but I think this generation, my generation at least has lost the art of mentor mentorship um, meaning being mentored by others, and uh, and you know we just we live in a genera- uh in an age where knowledge is so easy to get on the internet or or on your phone. Right. Um, you know, going and asking someone who's been down the road. I think sometimes we think if I do that, that it's so pointless, but it really is very helpful. And I've I've experienced that a lot, just in some of the stuff with some of the church things I've been doing or things I've been doing at the church is there's a lot of people who know a lot, a lot more than me. (laughs) And so tap into that is, is, is really helpful. So that being said, you know, I'd love to hear about your career in finances. What, you know, what drew, what drew you to that and what, you know, what did you learn about? Just tell me a little bit about your career. Um,
1: yeah. So, um, I think to have an interest in the markets to, you know, to follow the stock market, to follow the bond market, to be interested in reading the wall street journal, uh, to hear about successes, how are people able to build a company and you know, what went into that, uh, what, what investments may go along towards, uh, assisting people build their net worth. Uh, so number one, an interest in finance, you know, in other words, um, do you pick up the you pick up and read the wall street journal every day or is it like well, what is the wall street journal and i have i read it and i sort of glaze over but uh, i think the, to uh, have an interest mm. in financial magazines um, to to read you know not only the wall street journal but some of the publications that are you know whether it's barons or maybe there's a fortune magazine and various things that talk about investing so an interest number 1 in the financial markets number 2 an interest in people so, because you're dealing with you're dealing with people all the time, yeah. uh, and now there are a lot of different jobs in the finance industry. So, don't get me wrong my my career was one in which I was dealing with a lot of people. There's a lot of jobs where people that have very good jobs, maybe are, are math majors, they maybe are writing code, or a number of different things. But my job. Had a lot to do with individual people dealing with people, soliciting people, um, being willing to be told no over and over and over again and still keep, you know, trying. So, um, my job was really to find wealthy people and talk them into well, helping helping them invest their monies. Um, so, you know, you have to have a little bit of a thick skin as well. So, people, you can imagine when you when you have money and someone's calling you to say, I have a better idea, you get a little skeptical and you have to differentiate yourself somehow. So, um, you know, working for a firm that people at least recognize the name, that was very helpful, but uh, being able to just be persistent, you know, you know, persistence um, and uh, determination goes a long ways in that, in that business. And then uh, having a, a, willingness to uh, say you're wrong and, and you know, in, in the investment business, no one is right all the time. You know, here, I referred to Warren Buffett earlier, who's like I say, one of the most successful investors in my lifetime and maybe in history. And he, you know, he talks about, you know, he'll, if, he, if he's right, uh, you know, 60% of the time, he thinks he's, you know, that, that's great. You can't be right 30% of the time, but you have to be right a little bit more than half, but you're not right all the time and be willing to learn from your mistakes. OK, what did I do wrong there? You know, I thought this company was really going to take off. And what what decisions did I make that wasn't a very good recommendation for this individual? Um, so it, it had a lot to do with working with individuals, um, with uh, understanding that you're not going to be right all the time. But that you're but you the other thing I learned was that honesty is the best policy, because when you, when you tell someone the truth, you never have to remember what you told them. Because you'll, you'll remember, oh, well, I told you this and mm-hmm. because that's, that's what you remember as opposed to making up stories, uh, and trying to, you know, bluff your way through something just doesn't work very long in my business. Um, so I, I really enjoyed the business. Mm-hmm. I was in it for 30 years, um, worked with various individuals. We worked in teams where we would, um, you know, have three or four of us on a team and we would, uh, you know, have different kind of responsibilities. But one of the big responsibilities was constantly looking for new clients. So, you know, if that's something that's a little bit hard to pick up the phone and call people or knock on their door, you know, cold calling, you know, getting getting refused. um, You know, that's if that's hard for you, then other fields might be better. Um, But, uh, you know, like I say, there's a lot of different uh, things you can do at an investment firm other than just you know, work on the front lines of finding clients. You know, there's people that have a multitude of different things, and there's a number of good firms out there that, uh, you know, Morgan Stanley and and Goldman Sachs are just two of the of the ones.
0: Wow, yeah, I no, I I think that's pretty neat. I you know, I've I've never looked into finance, finance per se, um, but what you know, what's really I guess, what's a key, like, highlight from your career, I guess is the best way to put. What was, what, if, if there's something, and there probably were lots of highlights from your career, but if yeah. there's something that stood out, what was a what was a career highlight? Hmm,
1: that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think um, one of the highlights was actually, you know, working in an industry, for the same firm for 30 years. Uh, That Mm -hmm. doesn't happen very often anymore. Uh, It was really a good firm and and it was a good fit for me. Um, And I think the highlight was retiring uh, when I was still young enough to still have a lot of life, to do things with my family, to travel, uh, to serve a mission with my wife as a mission president. Um, You know, in other words, one of the highlights was the benefits of that you know, getting up early in the morning, spending 30 years working hard and then being able to retire at an age where I could then enjoy at least another 20 or 30 years when I'm still young enough to enjoy it as opposed to, you know, work, you know, work my whole life and not enjoy much of it thereafter. So, um, I think a highlight would be having enjoyed who I worked with for a a number of years, a lot of years, um. Having clients that that I I enjoyed, uh, they trusted me. I could tell them things, and they would do it. Um, and uh, so, I think having that trust with a client, uh, knowing that I wasn't—if I could pick every stock that was going to go up and never go down—I, um, you know, there's, that's just impossible. You can't do that. And and they and they sort of recognized not not everything I could tell them was was going to turn out but at least they knew that I had their interest at heart and I, you know, I was, right. I was honest in that. So I think, you know, a highlight being just, I think feeling like a, I had a very successful career and I could leave at a time where I still have time to enjoy other things.
0: Mm. No, I think that's a great point. Cause yeah, that's, that's, especially as someone young getting into, into an industry, you don't always think about, you know, what, you know, next 20 years down the road. And that's something that's something to, to definitely look at or 30 years down yeah. the road. Yeah. Um, and every, uh, and every career. And I think once again, people don't always think about it going in, but every career and, and path has things that are great. And then things that are, you know, uh, wasn't my favorite part, but you know, it was just part of the job. What was right. maybe something that people wouldn't think about that would, that uh, they'd go, oh, it wasn't necessarily my favorite, but, it, it was part of it.
1: You know, I think uh, so in, in the investment business, you know, and, and and if you follow the stock market just a little bit, you know, that, uh, you know, a company like Facebook started out at 20, you know, it, I don't know, $30 a share. It went to $20 a share. It went to $400 a share. It's now around $100 a share. So in other words, it's had some big ups and it's had some big downs. And there are periods of time when almost everything goes down. It's called a bear market. So, you know, we've been in that for the last year. In other words, kind of no matter what you bought, you know, you've lost some money. You've lost 10%, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50% of your, you know, some of these small companies have lost 70 and 80% of their value. You know, imagine buying something at $80 a share and now, and now it's at uh, $10 a share, you know, that's uncomfortable. So I think, um, the things that kind of went along with my job were things called bear markets, and they come along every three or four years. And it's kind of when everything goes down and, and, you know, you don't, you you can't see them. It. It's not obvious at the time. It's not like, oh, this is going to be a bear market. Let's get out of the Let's get out of everything and we'll get back in at the bottom. It just doesn't work that way. You know, you, you try to do your best, but you're going to be in these periods where people aren't making money. They're losing money in their portfolios. And they're kind of whining and complaining. Um, Sometimes they'll fire you and say, you know what? I just, you know, I can't, I can't stand losing money any longer. I'm going to take my money and go somewhere else. Um, And so I think those periods of time, bear markets were just no fun to be in. Now, bull markets were two thirds of the time. So you you sort of knew that two thirds of the time you're making money, a third of the time you're going to have periods where things are not going to go as well. And, um, but you can never tell when that was, you know, if, if you could, you're, you're a genius. And, and uh, even this guy, Warren Buffett doesn't get out of the stock market when it's going down. So um, I think those that kind of went along with things that weren't so positive in the, uh, and then what, you know, along with that, you, you're working with somebody and you've worked with them for, let's say, two years, five years, 10 years. And you get into one of these periods of time where they're losing money and things just aren't going right and they fire you, you know, so you've done a lot of good for them, but then they say, okay, I'm done with you. So it's never fun to get fired. You know, it's never fun to have a relationship and all of a sudden see it walk out the door. So I think, you know, you, that, that happens in our business. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Okay. No, I totally, and I can <laughs> see why that would be a, <laughs> that would be a part that's just not as, you know, it's the reality fun. of the job, but it's not as fun. Right. And what? And it sounds like it's, it, you know no one truly knows when the, a bear market's coming, but what, what can be factors that cause a bear market? I don't really know much about you know, investing. investing or anything like that, but what, what, what can be causes? what, what kind of leads to that?
1: Well, um, if, if you look back in uh, a couple of years ago, you know, everything was going along really well and then um, we started seeing more what they call inflation. You've heard of this word inflation, right? Mm-hmm. Things yeah. start costing you more money. Um, food, you go to the restaurant. And what used to cost you $10 is now $12 or $13. Mm-hmm. Going to the grocery store, what used to cost you. So inflation is one of the things that kills stocks because it causes interest rates to go up. And then there's this thing called the Federal Reserve. That's the, that's the central bank of the United States. And they feel like, okay, we need to do something about this inflation. We need to we need to stamp it out because the people that are going to elect our next president, elect our senators, you know, they're 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 not liking this inflation. They're blaming it on this. They're blaming it on the current administration. So we've got to do something about it. So they start raising interest rates. So, you know, we're used to when you used to go buy a car and the interest rate was two percent. That's pretty good. You go buy a car now at six percent or you go Mm -hmm. and buy a house at six percent. Versus 3% or 2%. So the cost of doing business becomes more expensive and that causes stocks to go down because there's a, you know, it's, they're not making as much money and this thing, and I don't, I don't want to get too technical, but price earnings multiples right. shrink, you know, other things become more attractive relative to stocks. So people sell their stocks and buy, let's say gold, or they think they're going to buy some, something some cryptocurrency and that will be a hedge against stocks and to find out it really wasn't it was a pretty right. bad investment you know at certain times if you got in very early it was good but where most people got in they're probably down 20 30 50 percent um so that's what causes so any you know the central government raising interest rates is kind of a killer for stocks but you don't know when they're going to stop um and uh, again it's you know, it's a, a lot of uh, work has gone into trying to figure that out, but they haven't figured it out yet.
0: Mm. And, and why does, and, and maybe I'm just kind of missing something, but why does raising interest rates help lower in inflation?
1: Well, it just, it makes it, it cools off the economy. Oh. It makes it more, it makes it more expensive to do things. So businesses start shutting down and, and, prices start you know interest rates go up but but it, it slows down the growth in the economy in other words people can't afford houses like they used to they can't afford cars like they used to when they could borrow money at 2% that was a much better deal than they pay 6% to buy a car so mm-hmm. they don't sell as many cars they don't sell as many houses that causes you know people are less willing to spend money they're not as confident in the future so it just slows things down
0: gotcha okay no that makes sense hmm. well that's uh, that's fascinating i've you know once again i don't know anything about investing so it's it's <laughs> interesting to hear how that works and and what kind of the the process is behind that um i do have a question regarding um relationships so you and sister blotter have been married for how how many years have you been married Fifty three. Fifty three. So especially nowadays, you know, I was I was just talking to some friends the other day uh, about, you know, dating and relationships. And and it's it's every generation. It's a little different how dating takes place. And sure. um, but but I think that's something that especially young adults are trying to figure out and, and figure out how to have a strong, long lasting relationship and find a, a find someone who they could do that with. So what has been. Your secret to success what has worked for you and sister blotter what's what's led to a 53 year your marriage
1: you know I, I think part of it is that uh, always being able to trust each other I mean I have never once felt like oh let see she's not home could she be seeing somebody else I mean that has never even crossed my mind so in other words there's a high degree of trust and confidence in each other mm. um, so there's truth in other words, You know, I I tell her the truth and I can always trust that she tells me the truth. Um, I think having common um, backgrounds helps, Um, you know, that is we come from kind of the same cultural backgrounds. Uh, Our families were members of the church for a long time. But that's not it doesn't have to happen. But I think common interests, common beliefs um, and, and making sure That, uh, you know, I think young men oftentimes get carried away with how a girl looks. And while that is somewhat important, it's not the most important. Because I know what young women aren't necessarily looking for looks. They're looking for someone who is going to be, you know, faithful to them. That will be a good provider for them. So they're looking at a little slightly different things. But I think that, you know, to have talks and understanding and what are your mutual goals um i i think that uh uh, in in diane's mind you know she wanted to marry somebody who was going to be successful her dad had been successful and so she was looking for someone who was going to college who was going to graduate from college and so there were expectations that she had and i had um that uh, we kind of went through on those expectations. And, you know, I went to college and graduated and got degrees and she did as well. So I think having um, an understanding of what is somewhat expected with each other. um, You know, how many kids do you want to have? Um, You know, I don't want to have any kids. I want to work. And you might say, ooh, you know, I, I already kind of want to have some children. So I think, you know, understanding of, what, how many children and church activity, you know, I, I was with a, uh, one of our missionaries recently and he said, you know, it's really hard to find young women to date. He says, I, I took one of them to conference and uh, after list, you know, and after listening to one of the talks by elder Oaks, she said, you know, that really left me kind of cold. And he kind of goes, well, I'm done with her because in other words, he just kind of felt like, you know, if she's going to question, where Elder Oaks is coming from on his talks and kind of accept some things and not accept other things for him. That didn't work. So he quit dating her. So I think having, you know, expectations of how active, you know, my wife and I wanted to marry somebody who's going to be very active and get married in the temple, have children, um, be, be actively participants in church, Um, as opposed to, well, I can take it or leave it kind of thing. So I I think a number of, you know, having, getting to know each other pretty well um, before you enter into this uh, bliss, marital bliss, because, you know, you're going to have disagreements. You're going to, you know, things are going to come up. You're not the same people, you know, you are different people, but I think as long as you have the big, the big goals in mind, you know, do you have a testimony of the Savior? Do you have a testimony of the church? Can, do you, can you, do you, are you, can do you um, qualify for a temple recommend? Um, those kinds of things are really, were really important to us. Um, and I think has helped us, you know, through, uh, you know, 53 years of marriage. So, um, I, again, I think having common goals and uh, common beliefs, um, I, I, and honestly, I think the Holy ghost will help you a lot. Um, you know, you're going to go out, you're going to go out with some girls and it's going to be kind of flat. And other, uh, other ones, they may not be as, they may not be as cute or whatever, but it's like, wow, there's something here, you know, maybe that's the Holy ghost telling you, you need to have another date or two or three. Um, so I think that, uh, having that kind of, uh, because what I will tell you is who you marry at this point is the most important decision you're going to make in your life. Mm. You'll have more to do with your happiness than anything else you can do. It's more important than where you work, more important than where you live. Um, it's more important where you go to school. Um, so make, make sure you get that decision, right. That's it. That's a big one. Uh, and uh, you know, if there's some, if there's some red flags along the way, um, don't be afraid to walk away. You know, it's better to walk away a minute before you get married than trying to do it five or ten years after. You know, life becomes much more complicated. Um, Children, houses, the whole thing. So, you know, get that decision right. And I think the big part of that is your faith, you know, your beliefs are aligned with each other. Everything else will kind of work out if that's the case.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I think that's so great. And, and bringing, I love how you're once again, bringing, in, you know, heavenly father and Jesus Christ in that, into that equation and, and right. asking them, you know, is this, is this the right exactly. person? Is this some, some, a path to go down? Um So right. I think right. that's excellent. Well, you know, I think with, obviously, and I, and I think you, you said it, a lot of it comes down to communicating and getting to know the person and, and discussing and seeing what works, what doesn't. What have you found? Um, cause I think sometimes, you know, we're, we're always young adults are always on their phone. There's just communication has become, you know, a lost art in some ways. What's, yeah. what's been a good way and a helpful way that you and sister Blair communicate and, uh, and work through things when whether it's a disagreement or, or when you're agreeing and trying to, to communicate.
1: Well, I, I think, um, there's nothing like. Personal being together. In other words, it's one thing. Think about if you're texting or you're emailing, sometimes, you know, you're not being, it's not communicating as well as, as then being able to talk like we are. This is better than texting or, or emailing. But what's even better is kind of being in the same room with each other, looking at the body language, um, the, you know, the, the, the way things are said. Um, so I think, you know, again, person to person communication is preferable to all others. Um, but others, you know, we have to work with others, too. You, you know, there's times to text and, you know, you pick up some milk at the store. OK, you know, you don't need to go in great amount of detail. But, you know, what are, what about this mission call we've received and, you know, being able to talk about that uh, very, you know, in, in great detail with each other in person um, is better. And trying to navigate a relationship from a distance is hard. You know, you're in Arizona, your girlfriend's in Provo. That's harder than if both of you are in Arizona. That's not to say if she's really great, you shouldn't make an effort to make it work. But at some point, you got to get together. You've got to, um, you know, work things out because there will be issues that come up that need Person to person communication. I think um, uh, never raising your voice. Uh, I think never telling things that aren't true. In other words, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you find out they're lying to you, that's a big red flag. Because if they don't tell you the truth now, what makes you think they'll tell the truth when things get really tough? So I think truthfulness is a big beat. You know, there's a, there's a scripture in the Book of Mormon. You know, woe be unto the liar. For he shall be thrust down to hell. God does not like people that tell things that aren't true. That's Satan's way. Um now that's not to say someone slips and you a little fib or you know, in other words, something can be excused, but if it's a pattern and you're seeing it over again, then clearly there's something wrong there and you, it's a big red flag. Um I think uh, looking at family backgrounds, um, you know, what kind of what kind of family background does the individual come from? You know, it's tougher to come from um, broken homes and crazy parents and uh, less active, you know, all all these things will, you know, and I I don't want to diminish the the trials that some people have. But again, um, you know, sometimes it's a person's coming with a lot of baggage that, you know, you have to understand what it is. And, And oftentimes, you know, if they're Humble and able to work through these things. They're wonderful individuals because we all come with baggage, but some people come with a lot more baggage than others. So I think those are some of the keys that uh, I've found to be helpful over time.
0: Perfect. No, I love that. And yeah, I think it really comes, it, like you said, it comes down to being aware of the realities of who you're working with and, and, and who you're dating and, and, and being aware of that and not, you know, letting necessary necessarily a pretty face, you know, determine all and, and jumping into it and, and, but really taking that time to get to know the person. I, I love that. I think that's. So Matt, yeah. the
1: other thing they say is the money you marry is the hardest money you'll ever earn. <laughs> I believe that. So, so be be careful there too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, we came into marriage with a little, with, with very little money and that was okay. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. No, something about building, building and working together to, to create. Right. Um, is there's something about that, which I guess kind of makes sense too. Cause in a lot of ways that's how our Heavenly Father works with us, right? He's, he, you know, he doesn't necessarily just start us at the end. No. He wants to work with no. us and help us create.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: I think that's super profound. So, well, Elder Blotter, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. I think we're, we're at about the hour mark. And, uh, I, this has been a lot of fun. I've learned so much from you. Okay. Awesome. Is this well, where we say you. goodbye? Yeah, this is, I think this is it. And you know, we'll have to do this again and maybe, maybe we'll do it in person next time we can you know, sit across from each other. That'd be awesome. Good luck to you. Thanks. Hey, thanks, everybody. Okay. Awesome. Talk Bye to later. Now. Bye.